This is Morning Edition on NHPR. I'm Rick Ganley, and this is the New Hampshire News Recap. Getting into this week's top headlines. The Board of Education is considering a contract with far-right nonprofit PragerU. The Attorney General's office is asking a judge to reconsider his decision to dismiss a case against white supremacist group NSC-131. And Manchester's arts community reacts to a local school shutting its doors. Joining me now are NHPR's Todd Bookman and the New Hampshire Bulletin's Ethan DeWitt. Good morning to you both. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, the Board of Education is considering this contract with PragerU, as we've been talking about this week. Uh, the group's application was recommended to the board um, by Education Commissioner Frank Edelblum. Ethan, c- can you tell us more about the proposal and give, give us some background on, on PragerU? Sure. So this is a proposal to allow New Hampshire public school students to take an online financial literacy course from PragerU, which is a a conservative media organization. And that course would involve them watching a series of videos produced by PragerU. It's about 15 five-minute videos that teach personal finance, um, you know, how to um, apply for insurance, how to uh, you know, do taxes and that kind of thing. Um, and the organization that is producing these videos is, as mentioned, a, a conservative um, right-wing organization. They're a media organization that produces videos on a, on a wide range of topics about history and social issues, but always from a conservative lens. Um, and they've been criticized by for some of the content um, downplaying the effects of slavery, um, you know, to denying climate change, um, to kind of looking at other historical aspects, um, you know, downplaying, um, you know, racism in in policing, etc. And so the contract itself is about one specific program that would uh, be related to financial literacy, but critics had raised the alarm that by by contracting with this organization that the state would be effectively endorsing the other videos uh, and supporters uh, who include the Department of Education Commissioner Frank Edelblut, uh, who is bringing this forward, said that, you know, you should look at this separately, that these that this financial literacy course from this organization should be looked at on its own and not the other content that it produces. Um, this is all part of something called the Learn Everywhere program, which has started in the last few years and essentially allows for businesses and organizations both within and and beyond New Hampshire to offer educational courses. And if students take them, they can get credit at their school for Mm -hmm. graduation. So those courses have to be approved by the State Board of Education. And that's why this all came up before the State Board, whether to approve this program, because if students were, if this were approved, students would be able to do this and then get a credit towards financial literacy towards graduation. Okay. Now the board met yesterday to discuss this, Ethan, they discussed this proposal for the first time. So what did they have to say? Well, I should say, first of all, that this proposal had not gotten any feedback from educators when it kind of went through the review process. The educators were contacted over the summer and no educators had given feedback. Now, um, representatives of, of the teachers union said that they were asked in the middle of their uh, summer break and that educators weren't able to give feedback in a timely way. But at the meeting yesterday, the board meeting, there were a number of educators and representatives of teachers unions and, uh, you know, other um, members of the public who voiced their opposition to this and raised two main objections. One with the overall 
political lean of the organization that the, that the state was considering to be contracting with, and two, with the actual course itself. There were some teachers who have taught financial literacy, and they said that you know, five, 15 five-minute videos uh, and then taking a multiple-choice exam, which is what this program would entail, is not sufficient uh, to demonstrate proficiency and that it doesn't compare to what schools do in person, which might include a project where you have to balance a checkbook sure. or invest in the stock market. So those were the objections raised. The board heard all those concerns. And at the end of their meeting, the board voted to table this, basically putting it on the table, putting the decision off by another month while they seek more information. The board uh, and the board members have all been approved, uh, appointed by the governor and council of the state board, and they um, were supportive of this contract in general, but they, the board chairman, Drew Klein, said he wanted more time to hear from the company about how it might separate these videos from its political content, listening to some of the concerns. So this will come up again in a month, likely, uh, when the board meets again. Gotcha. Now, a lot of concerns, a lot of the pushback, too, comes from, again, not just the, the curriculum, but the financial aspect of this, but what could be beyond that if the board were to approve more of the curriculum, correct? Yes. So, as I said, yeah, there's, there's sort of two ways to look at it. One is looking at the videos themselves, which some educators said were insufficient on their own. They said that the videos themselves, if you take them in isolation, are fine and that they're well produced, but that they, would, they, don't, they wouldn't on their own give a, sure. the students a, a grasp. And then there's the bigger concerns about uh, you know this sort of slippery slope argument. If you start approving these videos from this organization, what's to stop you from approving a history sure. course that might be a lot more politically contentious? Gotcha. Now, this week, state prosecutors were asking a judge to reconsider his decision to throw out a civil rights case against NSC 131. That's a white supremacist group active here in New England. Todd, I want to turn to you. Can you remind us of the background of this particular case? Sure. So last summer, members of NSC 131 uh, hung a banner off of a highway overpass in Portsmouth, and that banner read, Keep New England White. Uh, This prompted some calls to the police, uh, as you'd imagine. They responded. The sign, which had been zip-tied to a chain-link fence over the highway, was taken down. And then earlier this year, the AG's office filed a civil rights complaint against the group. Essentially, uh, the group is being accused of trespassing onto the bridge and that they were motivated to do so by racial animus. And so that's what kicked off this legal case. Now, earlier this summer, the judge overseeing the case dismissed it. Um, What was his reasoning for that? Well, a lot of the judge's reasoning had to do with trespassing and what constitutes a trespass. Uh, The state had argued because the sign was zip tied that it was a trespass on public property because they didn't have a a permit to do so. The the content of the sign is kind of secondary at this point because the state needs to first prove that this trespass took place. And uh, the judge, uh, Judge Ruoff in in Rockingham County, uh, ruled that the state was was using basically an overly broad interpretation of the definition of trespass. And he said, you know, he's basically worried about the precedent that this case could set for future free speech cases. You know, would the group, would NSC 131 have been considered trespassing if they were just carrying the signs instead of zip tying them? Mm-hmm. He, he basically said there was just too much gray area in the state's theory. And what was the argument that the AG's office was making this week in court? Well, they were essentially asking the judge to reconsider. Uh, they made the argument that the law here is clear cut, that because there was no permit obtained to hang the sign, you know, that law was broken. Uh, trespass had been, you know, sort of committed. The second argument that the state is also making is that there's a different statute that prevents people from hanging signs near certain roadways that could distract drivers. Uh, you know, certainly sound public policy. But the judge noted, uh, you drive along New Hampshire's roads, you see a lot of signs 
up that the government has not taken steps to take down. And so the question is, is this selective enforcement? So yeah, it's a really sort of fascinating policy case, mm-hmm. one that I suspect is going to be appealed either way to the state Supreme Court. This is Morning Edition on NHPR. We're recapping this week's news with NHPR's Todd Bookman and the New Hampshire Bulletin's Ethan DeWitt. Ethan, I want to turn back to you. Uh, Governor Sununu signing a bill this week, and that would create a study commission to explore a state-run approach to legalizing cannabis. Uh, We've been talking about cannabis legalization in New Hampshire for years. Um, That state-run model would be pretty unique for cannabis legalization policies, wouldn't it? Yes. So typically when states around the country have legalized cannabis, they have, if they've legalized retail, they've kind of opened it up to a private market. Some states like Vermont have started with just legalizing possession and then legalizing retail later. But we haven't seen this type of approach that Governor Sununu has stated he prefers, and that would be to legalize the use and possession of cannabis, but only to allow the sales to be done through state-run entities, similar to how the the state sells liquor currently. And that's sort of the model that the governor looks to, the Liquor Commission. You can find a Liquor Commission, you know, all around the state, uh, Liquor Commission outlet. And and so he's moving towards that. Yeah. Again, how, how would that operate, though? What, what would that look like exactly? Would it just be putting shells in liquor stores? What, what would that look like? Well, um, it's, it's difficult to know so far because this commission is sort of looking at this, um, whether they would be sold within the liquor stores or have their own outlets. I, my understanding from the governor is that it would be a, a separate outlets. But that would mean that, you know, you'd have to start from scratch and decide kind of where you'd want these storefronts. And one of the things that this commission is going to be looking at is how much to distribute these stores. Uh, you know, there's something that the governor doesn't want, which he calls marijuana miles, where, you know, there are sort of condensed geographical areas where you see a lot of these stores crop up. So because the state would have control over how many stores would be in place, this commission would have a lot of influence over how these might be distributed. And then there's, of course, the considerations of municipalities. And this proposal that the governor is, has put forward would allow municipalities the the right to opt in to allowing these retail sales within their borders. So you, it would depend on whether a, a town or city were comfortable and whether its residents wanted that. Similar to how Kino was spread around sure. the state. So what can we expect from this commission over the next few months or year? Well, so they have until December 1st to come up with a report. And that deadline is important because um, Governor Sununu has said he's not running for re-election. So this next le- coming legislative year, 2024, this, this basically happens in the spring. That is the only chance to get this kind of model to the governor's desk to sign. So the commission will be meeting regularly. It's unclear how regularly yet, but they'll be meeting through the summer and the fall. The members haven't been appointed yet, but they include uh, representatives of the of the Senate and the House, representatives of of the New Hampshire Association of Chiefs of Police, the New Hampshire Bankers Association, the ACLU, the New Hampshire Medical Society, Communities for Alcohol and Drug-Free Youth. So there is a there's a wide range on both sides of this issue. They'll be meeting in the in the months to look at these criteria that the governor has outlined he would support, and then they'll produce a report with recommendations. And presumably there will be legislation that will also be filed in the late fall into winter that would then turn into a, a bill that you would see in the spring in the legislature. Gotcha. Todd, you reported this week on New England College's decision to shutter its Manchester campus, effectively ending the arts program there. Um, Todd, I want to ask you, what piqued your interest as a reporter when you you first learned about that? Well, I was initially interested in how the students would be affected. Um, Here were, you know, 100 plus kids who had uh, uh, been told they would have to uproot. They could now take classes on New England College's main Henniker campus, but the Manchester campus was shutting down. 
And then we, we saw also this sort of wave of, of, of patrons of the arts, of Manchester boosters, who then began expressing their concern about what would happen to some of the buildings uh, that were on this campus, letters to the editor, that sort of thing. And so that's sort of where the, the story begins. Yeah. And what, what do you think is going to happen here? How has the college responded to, to the pushback? Well, New England College is facing, uh, you know, they were facing financial losses from the Manchester campus. They basically said they can't continue to float this campus. Uh, a number of the buildings are being sold off or being advertised as sold off. But the controversy now really centers on French Hall. This is the main building. For 100 years, they had housed community arts programs in addition to the four-year uh, baccalaureate program that sort of came on in, in later times. Uh, at this point, New England College says it is going to keep French Hall in its possession and it's going to keep it a community-focused arts space. This is the latest news from the college, but uh, there are really few specifics at this point in terms of what that might look like. Will it be open to the public? Will there be photography and drawing classes? Will there be a makerspace? Things like that. Um, so there's a lot to sort of yet be hammered out in terms of what this will look like. Um, and I think there's some trepidation uh, you know, from the mm -hmm. Manchester arts community and patrons about what may happen here. All right. Well, we'll be watching it and, and watching if you're reporting it as well. Todd Bookman is senior reporter here for NHPR. And Ethan DeWitt is the New Hampshire Bulletin's education reporter. I thank you both for joining us this morning. Glad to be here. Thank you. You can find their work and all the stories we talked about this morning at nhpr.org and newhampshirebulletin.com. And we're here next Friday with a fresh recap. As always, I'm Rick Ganley, and this is NHPR. <laughs>